A groom approached the minister during the wedding rehearsal with an unusual offer. Look, the groom said, I'll give you $100 if you'll change the wedding vows. When you get to the part where I'm supposed to promise to love, honor, and to be faithful to her forever, I'd appreciate it if you just leave that out. He passed the minister a $100 bill and walked away satisfied. The next day, in the middle of the wedding ceremony, when it came time for the groom's vows, the preacher looked at the young man in the eye and said, Will you promise to obey her every command, serve her breakfast in bed every morning, and swear eternally before God and your lovely wife that you will not ever even look at another woman as long as you both shall live? The groom gulped and looked around and said in a tiny voice, Yes, then leaned toward the minister and hissed, I thought we had an agreement. The minister slipped the $100 bill into the groom's hand and whispered, Your bride made me a better offer. Promises, promises, promises. They're so easy to make, so hard to keep. We hear promises all the time. I'm not trying to sell you anything. With our product, you will lose 20 pounds in 20 days. This will only take a moment of your time. This won't hurt a bit. There is no risk or obligation. If I'm elected, I promise to. Whether it be politics, business, sports, or ministry, it seems that at every turn, our trust is not merely being violated, it's being shattered. We are becoming conditioned to disbelieve everything and everybody. We are becoming so skeptical and jaded, is there anyone who is trustworthy? Is there anyone who will keep his or her word? Sometimes we wonder. Now we're in our third week of our Waymaker series, and I just want to go over that with you. Our first week we talked about Jesus being our Waymaker. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Second, The second week, Jesus is the miracle worker. And we went over the story of Jesus calming the storm. Now this week, the third week, Jesus is our promise keeper. And our text this morning is from 2 Corinthians. And we will see Paul trying to repair his relationship with the Corinthians, with the church. Paul had had an image problem, a confidence problem. His word was being questioned. Their first complaint about Paul was, he wrote these hard-to-read, obscure letters. The second complaint they had against him is that he changed his plan. He was supposed to come to them two other times, and he never came. And so they thought him fickle. The third complaint was that he had a dominating attitude, a domineering attitude. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15. Paul writes, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a, a second experience of grace. Now, Paul wanted to lay hands on them and give them spiritual gifts. We wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia to come back to you so that you could send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? And the real answer is no. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, 
Silvanus and Timothy and I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. I believe God's favorite word is yes. One of the most beautiful words in the human language is the word yes. Whenever a young man summons enough courage to ask a young lady to be his bride, there is only one word he wants to hear, yes. When you apply for a job, you want to hear, yes, you're hired. When you apply for a mortgage, you want to hear, yes, you've been approved. I can remember as a kid in school having my first crush on a girl named Sheila. We were about seven or eight years old. I wrote her note that said, dear Sheila, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. And she checked yes. Do you remember this old toy called a magic eight ball? You could ask it yes or no questions and shake it up to get the answer. There was never anything spooky or supernatural about it. and It was just a silly toy. In fact, as a joke, President Eisenhower kept one on his desk in the Oval Office. Inside a magic eight ball, inside the magic eight ball, is a 20-sided shape called an icosahedron. On each of these 20 sides is a different answer that's printed. Even Toyko and later Mattel knew that people most wanted to hear yes because of the 20 possible answers, 10 were yes, only 5 were no, and 5 were neutral. And the neutral sounds like ask again. So whenever you shook it up, you had a 75% chance of getting yes or possibly. Let's try it today. Will this sermon be a boring sermon? Definitely not. Let's try it again. Will Clint Swift stay awake in church this Sunday? Probably not. Will we have a baseball season this year? It says try again. Will the Cubs win the pennant? There's a good possibility. Will the Colts have a winning season this year? Don't count on it. On the other hand, we really don't like to hear the word no. From time to time, when we were, from the very beginning of time, when we heard the word no, it, it, it was just a negative experience. When you were little and started to do something wrong, your mom or dad would shout, no! And then it, the no would get louder and faster when they tried to grab you. No, 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 no! Or when you got a little older and wanted to go somewhere with your friends, but your parents said no, and that's final. It's a bummer to hear no. Sadly, sadly, people conceive of God in the same negative terms. To them, God is a cosmic killjoy who watches from heaven just waiting to catch them doing something wrong. They imagine him shaking his finger at people saying, no, no, bad person, stop that right now. But the God of the Bible isn't trying to spoil your fun by constantly telling you, no, God loves you and he wants you to enjoy life to the fullest. And I believe that God's favorite word is yes. Notice in verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about Jesus, we see Paul's integrity being questioned in this passage. And he answers that it was as firm and as solid as was the message of Jesus Christ is sure and sound. That, that is why it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And you might ask the question, well, what is a promise? 
A promise is a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified. A promise in the Old Testament refers to speaking or speech or to say. Here's the deal. When God says something, that settles it. James McDonald says, A promise is the assurance that God gives to his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. The difference between a command and a promise is this. A command from God is something that we should do. A promise from God is something that God will do. A command must be obeyed. A promise must be believed. When God gives you a command, he says you will. When God gives you a promise, he says I will. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, once said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The famous D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. God never overpromises, and he never under-delivers. Who kept and fulfilled all of God's promises? Look again at verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's Jesus. That is why it is through Jesus we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus is our promise keeper. Reaching the, reaching the end of the job interview... The human resources person asked a young accountant who was fresh out of college, what starting salary were you thinking about? The young man said, in the neighborhood of $100,000 to $150,000 a year, depending on the benefits package, of course. The interviewer sat up straight and said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks vacation, 17 paid sick days, in addition to every federally paid holiday as well, including Valentine's Day, full medical and dental, company retirement fund to match 50% of your salary every year, executive share options to boot, profit-related pay, and a company car leased every two years. With your choice of a BMW, Mercedes, or a Cadillac, the young accountant sat up. He sat up straight, couldn't hardly believe what he was hearing. He said, wow, what a benefits package. Are you kidding? The interviewer replied, yes, but you started it. Paul's word had been doubted. The Corinthians thought him a fickle person. Paul said he was, he was that, that he was firm as firm as Jesus is our promise keeper, fulfilling all God's promises. And then he talks about a benefits package. This is the benefit package that was the Corinthians and ours today. In verse 21, read along with me. It says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call to God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. Paul uses some interesting terms here. God establishes us in Christ, makes firm, solidifies us, makes us strong to, to cause someone to be firm or established in belief, to establish. Anointed us. He anointed us. Anoint is a word used in the Old Testament for commissioning, 
someone, a prophet, priest, or king. It's also used metaphorically of the spirits equipping for mission or service. By the action of anointing, then, Paul has in mind the spirits empowering and equipping us so that the church can carry on Christ's mission in the world. Not only that, but he sealed us. And this seal is a commercial term for Paul's day. It means to seal money or documents to be secured for delivery. A seal was a mark of ownership and proof that the goods in question had not been tampered with. Nowadays, we might think of a rancher who makes it his practice to round up all his year-old calves each spring for branding. And the brand which is placed on the flank flank of the calf with its heated branding iron is the rancher's mark of ownership. No one can dispute that that calf belongs to him. In the same way, God has placed his mark of ownership on us by sealing us with the Holy Spirit. No one can remove us from his ownership until the day of redemption. Another term, guaranteed, is a technical term for the legal guarantee that a seller gives a buyer to ensure the validity of the sale against any possible third-party claim. God deposits his spirit in us as a deposit, as a guarantee for what is to come. Paul's word was being questioned in Corinth. Paul's word was as good as his message that Christ Jesus was the fulfillment of all God's prophecies through through his Son, God has established us, anointed us, sealed us, and guarantees us through his Holy Spirit. God didn't promise us an easy and trouble-free life. And I'd like to quickly look at one of God's many promises to us. In 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Why do we have promises? First, to unleash God's power. Notice the past tense has given us everything. You have all that you need right now to be all that God wants you to be. The word everything means everything. Second, Utilize God's promises. God's promises are great and they are precious. The word great is a a superlative root word, megas, which means exceedingly outstanding. The word precious means prized and of such great value that a suitable price is hard to estimate, priceless. The image that comes into mind when I hear the word precious, it reminds me of the character Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. When he refers to the ring as my precious, my precious, and he fondly pets the ring. God's promises are not just flowery speech. His promises are to be prized because they are precious. God's promises are mega magnificent. Notice the two benefits of appropriating these promises. We get closer to the Savior so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And second, we get farther from sin, and escape to corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted upon. We may question Paul's and God's integrity and his promises like the Corinthians did, but like them, we will find out God is and always has been faithful and has kept his promises through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our promise keeper. In 1994, A 67-year-old carpenter named Russell Herman died in Marion, Illinois. In his last will and testament, he bequeathed 
the following, $2.4 billion to the little town of Cave and Rock, Illinois, $2.4 billion to the city of East St. Louis, $1.5 billion projects in southeastern Illinois, and in the final act of unprecedented generosity, he left $6 trillion to the Federal Reserve to pay off the national debt at that time. There was only one problem. At the time of Herman's death, the only thing he owned, actually owned, was a 1983 Olds Tornado. Russell Herman may not have left behind anything of monetary value, but he did leave us all with a good reminder. You can't give away what you don't possess. The bottom line is that he did not have the resources to make any of this a reality. Not so with God. He has all the means to make good on all his promises. In a world of broken promises, God can be counted upon. There are two lessons I would like to encourage us to take to heart today. The first lesson is this. I would encourage us to take to heart that we should strive to be people who keep our word. Here's a little riddle for you. What is one thing you can give and still keep? And the answer is your word. Promises should never be lightly given, for they may well be as lightly broken. Before we give a promise, we should count the cost of keeping it and make sure we are able to follow through. One thing that should characterize us as Christians is our ability to be faithful to our our commitments. If we say we're going to do, be somewhere, or if we say we're going to do something, then we should keep our word. It's a very discouraging sometimes to see how easily some people excuse themselves from their commitments. Their commitments to God, to their mate, to their family, and to their church family. Let's do our best to live with a clear conscience, to live with holiness and sincerity, and, and to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And the second lesson I would encourage us to take to heart is that even if people are unfaithful, God is always faithful. People, in spite of their best intentions, will fail us, but God never will. Jesus Christ is God's great yes. Jesus is our promise keeper. Because of Jesus, we can trust God fully without reservation. Jesus Christ came and died for us, rose again, and placed his Holy Spirit within us as a down payment and guarantee, literally investing himself in us. Our God does not make bad investments. He knows our true worth, and he esteems us of great value. He sees us as his precious children. Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, Helper, and Friend, he is not only God with us, but God for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? God can be trusted. There is no need for fine print or disclaimers. Whatever the promises of God are in Jesus Christ, they are yes and amen. For an application this week, I would challenge you to memorize one of God's promises that specifically apply to you. I would Google it, but if you're looking for a specific scripture or a specific promise that you need right now, I'd go to 2 Corinthians 1.20. A, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. For all of God's promises, that is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The question now is, have you put your faith and trust in the promise keeper, Jesus Christ? That's our invitation today, is to put your faith and trust in the promise keeper. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this day and for this time. And Father, as, as people view this, listen to this, participate in this message, may they know Jesus as promise keeper. And if they don't know him, 
that they would take the promise of confessing him as Lord and Savior to repent of their sin and to be baptized into Christ. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.